0: And I went to VaynerMedia and this guy, Nick Dio, who was on the podcast, he works at Vayner and he saw me in the kitchen waiting for Gary. And he's like, Hey man, you excited? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, look, what advice do you have? Like what, 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 how can I make this podcast different from anything he's done? He's like, dude, if you don't have it within the first 30, 30 seconds to a minute, um, Gary will check out and this will be the worst experience and he'll cut the podcast short. And then he's like, good luck and walk
1: what's going on everybody welcome back to my social life this is the podcast where you can hear the real stories behind the people on social media i'm your host jacob kelly as always today's podcast is powered by true fan before we get into today's conversation with jason portnoy there's a couple things that we need to go over first number one if you enjoyed today's podcast be sure to leave us a positive rating and review the more positive ratings and reviews you get the more it helps people find the show and it really helps to grow the community that we're developing here and if you're one of those people that have recently found the podcast, welcome. I'm very excited to have you here. Make sure you subscribe and stay tuned for future episodes. I put out brand new interviews every single Monday and a brand new takeaways episode this is an audio exclusive where I sit down and break down the most recent podcast episode of the week every single Thursday. Last but not least, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to share it to your Instagram story. Tag myself at the Jacob Kelly and tag Jason at Jason Portnoy. And I'll feature you on my account and send you a message as well. And now, without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Jason Portnoy. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to My Social Life. This is the podcast where you can hear the real stories behind the people on social media. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly. As always, today's podcast is powered by TrueFan. And today on the podcast, we are joined by Jason Portnoy. Jason is a Montreal, Canada-based entrepreneur, CEO, and founder of Jayport Media, a full-service media agency. Prior to that, he founded and ran the popular clothing brand, True Rivalry, and was mentored by the likes of Shark Tank, Shark, and FUBU founder, Damon John. Jason has been featured in places like Fox, NBC, CBS, Forbes, Shopify, and more. And I'm very excited to have him here on the podcast today. Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. I'm excited to have you here. And where I want to start today, I want to go all the way back to the beginning. So you were you born and raised in Montreal?
0: Born and raised, never left. I mean, I lived abroad for a little bit, but never really
1: left. And so then by law, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but by law, you have to cheer for the Canadians, right? Um. Y- yes. Yes. Yeah, so,
0: so, I mean, the, the, the real answer is yes, it's hockey's a religion here, but as the younger kids are growing up and I have two little ones of my own and as younger kids are growing up, less of them are cheering for them. They make it very hard to cheer for uh, these days. Um, but yeah, when I was growing up, it was uh, Stanley Cups a lot. Now it's a, uh, now it's a lot of maybe next year.
1: Can you talk to me about opening your first pack of OPG hockey cards?
0: My real first memory of Opeachy hockey cards was getting a Patrick Wall rookie card. That was one of the the first things I remember about Opeachy. Uh, and the gum. And the gum that was inside there. I always wanted the gum. Um, but yeah, I have it's funny, I have a bunch of cards next to me. Like um, like I was just going through old cards. I can't find that Patrick Wall rookie card for the really? life of me. Yeah, but I found a bunch of other OPC cards, yeah. Funny funny.
1: Yeah. And so talking kind of about growing up a house fan. Like from my understanding, you were there at the Stanley Cup parade in ninety three. Like, talk to me about how that impacted you growing up.
0: I was in fifth grade. Um, I remember watching the games. Um, and I wanted to go to the parade and uh my mother pulled me out of school to take me to the parade. My father was working, he was a doctor, he couldn't come up he couldn't get off. Um, my sister was dating this guy who was like a brother to me at the time. Uh they were they were together for a long time. Um, and he was supposed to take me, but he couldn't get off of work or something. And so my mom ended up taking me, uh, and it's funny, like, I really, you could, you could talk about it here. I really just found the pictures. This, so this is me sitting at the parade. Um, it's funny. You, you actually brought this up because like, I mean, I literally just found the pictures of the parade just
1: like yesterday. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. And yeah. And you, so you were also, so you, Habs obviously was number one, but you were also big into basketball. You were a big Pacers and Reggie Miller fan, right? So here's
0: where, I mean, hockey was never my favorite sport. It was always basketball. Reggie Miller is my favorite athlete of all time. Um, and, and yeah, where, where, where are you based? Ottawa. Okay. Ottawa. Okay. Perfect. Okay. So, yeah. So, I mean, Pacers always, Reggie Miller, favorite athlete of all time. I grew up playing basketball. I never really grew up playing so much hockey. Um, my parents never wanted to take me early in the morning and put all the pads on me and do all that. It's a it's a big commitment. Um, so uh, basketball is just easier. <laughs> Here here's running shoes. Here's here's shorts and and here's a basketball. Go and um, and that that was my that was my game uh, for a long time. Um, 90s basketball is still. I think 90s almost everything is better than anything now. But 90s basketball to me was was just my favorite and i grew up watching reggie miller for some reason he really really resonated with me um i liked the fact that he wasn't always the the t- like the biggest guy on the court but uh, but like he held his own and he was tough he was mentally tough he was clutch he always wanted the ball he always wanted the last shot he wanted to be either the the hero or or the, or or the goat or the scapegoat um just that that was my style of playing basketball and i grew up like wanting to shoot threes like him and and yeah pacers pacers and reggie miller i mean there's uh, like that's so it's funny 1980s uh Canadiens canadian's action figures reggie miller bobblehead
1: uh right there yeah that's awesome that's hilarious and then so initially growing up then so obviously sports being such a big part of your life and your dad's is your dad a doctor yeah growing up you wanted to be i have it written down here somewhere um you wanted to be a doctor but work for sports teams growing up right Man, you really do your research like this is this is crazy. This is like private eye
0: investigating. I don't even think I put any of this public. So I don't like this is I have a, my own podcast. And now you're making me look bad that I don't do this research <laughs> on my guests. Um, yeah, I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to go into if I was going to be a doctor, I want to go into sports medicine because, um, uh, the, the chances of my Jewish white, like. 5'11 scrawny body at the time being a professional athlete um wasn't wasn't really it was it was it was a long shot right i held on for hope for for a long time but but it wasn't looking good um and yeah so uh i thought that was the best way to get into it
1: and then ultimately you end up going to um, concordia take poli sci right with intent to become a lawyer you're, you're scaring me
0: here. I, I get my wife on this before I do your research. Um, yeah. Uh, went into polysty. wanted to become a lawyer. Um, thought that was the easiest route to, to doing it was, uh, was through poli and, uh, and yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm not a big school person. So, so it
1: wasn't really in the cards. So you weren't a big school person, but you were involved in extracurriculars, right? Because you won. You're the first Canadian to win the APAC Advocate of the Year Award, right? <laughs> I, I, need, I need you to do research on, on my guess. Yeah, I'm the
0: first Canadian to. Uh, I, I got involved in, in, uh, in, in lobbying in, in the U.S., um, and, and I got involved, and I was the first Canadian to win it when I fought for free speech on, on campus. Uh, but, but yeah, wow, that's like back backlogged stories you're bringing up here.
1: Yeah, my other backlog I have one other backlog story before we really kind of going. Impress impress me. I'm 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 waiting for this one. Thank you. I'm just curious if you could tell me what kind of impact going down to New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina had on you when you went down there after kind of all the devastation to help rebuild homes and stuff.
0: <laughs> one of the best the best trips of my life. Um it was it was um went down for Habitat for Humanity with Habitat for Humanity to rebuild homes right after Katrina. Uh, coincidentally, it coincided with the first Mardi Gras, uh, like after that. So, um, so yeah, it was like, let's get the first Mardi Gras. Let's be part of the first Mardi Gras. Let's be a part of Mardi Gras. But really the days were spent like really standing up on a roof and I'm scared of heights, uh, nailing shingles in, uh, putting the doors in painting houses and rebuilding that community. And it like seeing the responses from the people there is, is i mean one of the most rewarding feelings i've ever had and i've i've helped businesses scale up to 70 figures and nothing beats that
1: how long were you down there for
0: uh i think it was around a week a week or two uh, I, I i would say
1: probably a week wow that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, cause I would have been young at the time that happened. So I was just curious at what that was like actually going down there. Um, but I mentioned how you ended up going to school with the intent to become a lawyer. So when did the switch from wanting to be a doctor go to become wanting to be a lawyer? Was it after you spent the day with your dad and realized that you didn't end up wanting to be a doctor? That's exactly what happened. Uh, <laughs> man, I'm impressed.
0: Um, yeah, you gotta teach me your tricks, your wizardry here. Um, but yeah, um, I spent the day with my dad. He took me on rounds with him um, and just even law school, right? I, I like the end result. I like the TV show doctors and the TV show lawyers and, oh, we're in court and we're arguing and we're cocky and we're, we're out there and, and yes, and you know you, that's it. But like the blood, the infections, the grossness, like, I mean, my dad is an awful salesperson because he took me like first stop was like the morgue. Where I was looking at like dead bodies and he's like showing me the saw that cuts the that cuts the body parts off. Then he takes me to the infection room, and shows me like infections on people's feet. Like I almost puked. I came back white, like white, white as a ghost. And um and yeah, and they knew right then and there they didn't have a doctor.
1: Fair enough. And so you switch from doctor to lawyer, you get into law school twice, but you actually decline both times. Talk to me about why you made that decision and how hard that was considering because so your dad's a doctor and correct me wrong but your mom's an immigrant so they're very much like career path minded in that sense like how hard was that decision for you so yeah
0: my mom uh, she i mean she moved she came from belgium to new york when she was like uh like 10 or around around that age so i wouldn't call her a full-out immigrant um when i when i talk about my parents i say they have immigrant mentality in the sense that school is the path out. You know, you gotta be good at school, be a professional, be a lawyer or a doctor, that's, that's the path out. Uh, I, I remember I said, I said that on a podcast one time and my mother didn't talk to me for like a couple of days because she's like, I'm not an immigrant. Stop calling us immigrants. And I'm like, so I gotta correct it here, mom, if you're listening, immigrant mentality, and it's not a bad thing, um, but that's, that's the way people look at things is being a professional, that's the way out. But if you look at um, the wealth in the world, uh, very few of it's coming from doctors and lawyers, right? Like, and and the most successful lawyers I know aren't successful from law. They they have other things going on, like real estate and things like that, that got them into it. Uh, but yeah, as, as you know, you, you, you get older and you get out. So, I mean, going to school for another four years just didn't interest me. Um, Wasn't, wasn't an option for me. I, I, I really did not like school. Um, and then you, you know you get your first job and you start seeing your paycheck and you're like, this sucks. This isn't really how it's supposed to be. And and um, and I guess like uh, I'd I'd say I'm an ethical capitalist. Uh, you know I like making money. I like doing good things with my money. Um, but but I realize you know coming out of university when you're like you live in or, or college and you live in some sort sort of utopian world where you fight for the best and fight for the for the world. And and I believe in that. And I think I wish everyone who graduates could hold on to that feeling. But then you get out into the real world and you get hit in the face pretty hard and you're like, okay, lovey dovey feelings. Don't put food on the table or or put a room, a a warm roof over my head. Uh, So money is important. I'm I'm not shy about that. Uh, Doesn't mean you have to be uh, a horrible person, but money is important. And I was like, okay, I, I also have trouble with authority. I don't like listening to people. I that's why I didn't do. I got bored in school. I was never a bad student. I just got thrown out of class a lot because I was bored, um, and I was like, "All right, well, clearly this is an entrepreneurial um, gene in me." And I started a clothing company right after, and I I quit my first job. But yeah, got into law school twice. Uh, declined both times.
1: September eleventh, two thousand eight, I believe, was when you incorporated True Rivalry.
0: Um, yeah, around the, around around September, I. I think you may be off by a day. I think it may be September 9th, which is still pretty impressive. Um, I would say incorporated, uh, didn't really do much with it till around 2009. Um, even then, kind of half-assed it, um, you know, just making a ton of mistakes. I had no clue what I was doing. 2012, switched things around, rebranded it um,
1: and kind of felt, uh, started getting my groove on. I have a couple questions, kind of to unpack that. But first, did the first couple designs for the company come to you in a dream?
0: Yeah. So uh, the, I mean, the whole idea of it came in a dream, right? Like, so I was at a, I was at a hockey game. I heard someone say something. I'm like, that's a genius idea. We should put that on a T-shirt. Um, and I was like, cool. I was like, I was like, it's controversial. It's great. It's not insulting, but it's enough controversial to get buzz. I've always somehow had like a love for marketing even my even my um, um what are they called uh my non-core classes at at school uh were electives my electives were all were all in marketing and business related um and i'm like okay cool i understand that would that would get pressed. that would be good so i had an idea for it i was like all right cool and then i literally had a dream where i came up with another shirt and i was like i had i owned the store and it was a one-stop sports shop um, for like real passionate fans, because I felt all the stuff out there was boring logos and cheesy, and it's just like different ways of of showing the logo over and over. What if I became, and again, wet behind the ears because I had no idea that there's such thing as licensing and trademark infringements and things like that. But um, I realized things were boring and, and things could be done a lot better, um, and that's and I I had that dream. I was like, cool, I'm I'm gonna run with it. And I think the first name I came up with was Versus Apparel. I was, I was in love with that name. Um, it was an awful name, uh, but I was, in love, I was in love with it at the time. And Versace owns the rights to Versus, so I couldn't get it. And so the backup name that I had, I, I actually pulled my six closest friends and my family members. And I wrote down, I, read, I said rank in order of one to three. You're, you're, I had three names, Versus Apparel, um, something else, and True Rivalry and um, and I had them rank it, and True Ravi was like the second. I'm like, all right, I guess, I guess we'll go True Ravi. I don't love it. And now it's like, like, yeah, that name's way better.
1: And then, so you said those first few years really got off to a shaky start. I know like, I have run down here, used to like print shirts for the annual basketball tournament and the school's golf shirts for your high school that you used to attend. Um, So like, was that kind of your clientele for those first few years? Or was it just like friends and family and connections you had? like? How, what point did you kind of break through that threshold of just people that already knew you?
0: Um, it's a good question. So I, I did those things because it paid, right? So if you're, if you have a couple of shirts and you're selling like three or four of them, but like charity basketball tournaments and, and charity golf tournaments are willing to pay you for 400 shirts. Yeah. Yeah. I do that too. Um, and 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 you make those and, and you start doing it. There's a great show that was on HBO called How to Make It in America. And like I, I we just we watched it, my wife and I, and she's like, is that really like what the struggle was like of, of starting a clothing brand? I'm like hundred percent. Like I like so many things that they went through resonate with me and 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 the struggle to do it and and wanting to build a brand, but then selling yourself out to do something in order to make money and get more out there. Um yeah, so I did that uh, when did it break out? Um, when I realized friends and family don't pay you for things, right? Like friends and family are very quick to say, oh, we love this design. Oh, this is great. Can I have one? Can I have one? Um, but when you say, will you pay me for one? Um, you know, they're like, Yeah, it's all right. I don't really love it that much. Right. So like everyone goes to it and everyone starts a business idea and sits there and says friends and family, oh, they love my stuff. All my friends wear my stuff. I'm like, cool. How many of them paid you for, for the stuff? They're like, well, none of them. They're my friends. I'm like, yeah, man, no, you, you, you don't have a, you don't have a proof of concept. So, um, and your friends and family are never really honest with you. You always think that they're the most honest people with you. They're not. Friends and family are the, are, I would say if you're starting a business, they're the last people to listen to. Um, and they're always the last people to come around on your idea anyways. Um, so I would always ignore friends and family. Like if you have a great idea and you're running with it, test it with anyone but your friends and family um and yeah and then you know just kept grinding it out and and figuring it out and coming up with different shirt concepts i mean i was all over the map for those three years i had like i did political shirts like democrat versus republican republican versus democrat i did i did i mean there was um, a guy on an mtv show who sat there and said who makes this shirt and he posted it i'm like i do and i didn't and he's like oh cool can I get one? I'm like, sure. And I, I'd mail it. So now I was doing pop culture stuff. Um, and then I was doing like a shirt for after Michael Jackson died. Like I was all over the map trying to get in when I started really focusing on like, all right, we're going to stick with sports. We're going to make really cool designs and not cheesy. Um, you know, it gets expensive when you're just trying to chase the trend and be like, Oh, Michael Jackson died. Let's make a hundred shirts. And then you sell three of them. Right. It's like, because that's how much you need to print for it to be worthwhile, um, and you sell three of them. And, and uh, just even today in my parents' house, I have, their basement has boxes of, 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 of horrible ideas, I call them, uh, designs. They're like boxes of like, what are these? I'm like, these are failed ideas. This, this is a reminder of my failure. What can we do with it? I'm like, throw it out, donate them, do whatever you want. These are just examples of, of every bad idea I had.
1: So over that three year or so period before the Halak stop sign shirt drops, what's keeping you going at that point? Like where you're buying a hundred Michael Jackson shirts, selling three, like you're trying to get traction over three years. What keeps you motivated and going? I was, uh,
0: I mean, I I think I even took another job. Uh, cause I, like I, I needed money. This wasn't working. Was idea that wasn't working. Um, and and yeah, and uh, I, I just, kept, I don't know, it was, I was bleeding a lot of money, right? It was, it was not good. It was a lot of money spent on, on, on how to, on how to do things the wrong way. Um, and then it was, you know, you start seeing s- small little wins, small little victories, and, and you start sitting there saying, do I have something? And I realized I was going at it half ass. And that's the easiest way to bleed money, right? So many people think, okay, I'm going to go all in, but it doesn't work. What happens if I lose everything? um there's plenty of ways to lose money you could lose it and bleed it over over a slow amount of time uh because you're half asking something and i think that's the wrong way i'd rather spend my money right now know within x amount of time whether it's a good idea or not and i need to move on and i need to start making back that money versus i'll just keep throwing and 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 losing and losing and losing over time because i'm scared to do it and then at one point um i ended up getting sick for like three months i had mono and uh and I was off and I was just lying and I was like, all right, you know what, like I got to I got to give this a fair shot. I got to give this a real a real go and I got to I got to go at it. a no half ass. We got to build a business plan. I'm lucky enough. My brother in law owns a business, so he was like very big on no numbers and no things like that. Uh, I'm a visionary person. I'm not good with integration. Um, and, and yeah, and started really focusing on that and saying, saying, how can I build this into a business? I invested in a new website, made things a little bit. I, I, I brought the skews down a little bit more. I wasn't all over the place. I was focused only on sports. And I was like,
1: cool, now let's start getting on on athletes. And I started reaching out to athletes. When you, you said there how you got mono, that was around the time you went and met Damon John, right? Because I know you were getting over mono when you went to New York to meet him, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, in fact, I think one of his first questions to me was like, my daughter has mono, do you know my daughter? And I'm like, I no, no, I never I never I swear I never met your daughter. So he, he was kidding with me. Um but but yeah, I I met Damon and John and I mean, that's when I was realizing that I I want to go at it and I read his book. He said he liked helping young entrepreneurs. I reached out a bunch of times, finally scored a meeting and um and yeah, and, and a developed a relationship uh, that still exists at today.
1: Talk to me about when you pull up to the Empire State Building, you get to the front desk, and you reach down for your ID, and you forgot your wallet in the cab.
0: Yeah, so uh, I lost my, I lost my wallet. So I get the Empire State Building, probably the biggest meeting I've ever had in my life. um And and uh, I'm nervous already. And I get up there, and the guys like, "Who are you here to see?" I'm like, "Demon John." Cool. I feel great. It's like, "All right, I need ID, please." I'm like, I "Don't have it." And he's like, uh, you, I can't let you up. It's like, I, I need to know who you exist. So he goes, who do you know there? I'm like, I know Ted who works for him. And Ted's the one that arranged a meeting. Okay. Ted, Ted, Ted he goes to Ted. know what you look like. I'm like, never met Ted in my life. So he's like, like, all right, this is going to be hard. And he kept calling the upstairs to the office and no one was answering the phone. So I'm like sitting there. I'm like, it's getting close to a meeting. And, um, and I was like, I'm gonna blow in this big opportunity. Like, how do you do this? What's wrong with you? Um, and no one's answering. I'm emailing Ted because I don't have his uh his phone. And I'm just I'm 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 emailing him, no one's answering. I'm like, I'm down in the lobby, they're not letting me up. And then all of a sudden I hear, hey Damon. And Damon was walking to Empire State Building, and he's like, This guy says he's here to see you. So he walks over and he's like I'm like yeah I have a one o'clock appointment with you I had arranged it here's my email that he goes he goes up oh, all right he's cool so the guy let me in and I went up with Damon I'm an elevator I'm like man I am so so embarrassed and he goes at least I'll remember you now he goes which is something I can't say for most of the people I meet so I uh, I mean just he was very very good at making me feel comfortable and and understood that i was nervous and he made me feel good about it and and yeah and, and maybe maybe it was a good thing that happened maybe that was a silver line of losing my wallet because it was a story and he remembered it and um and yeah
1: and it was at that meeting or another one where you told damon you were going to build a billion dollar company um, that meeting and it was that meeting okay. and then he my said fir- to, my first meeting and he said to hold on to that feeling right because you said maybe i'm just a dreamer he says to hold on to that feeling have you done a good job of holding on to that feeling no and that,
0: that's why i i give that advice back to entrepreneurs i meet with now who are starting off um well my first idea was i was gonna build true rivalry into like the next under armor and i told him i'm like so we're gonna be the next under armor i'm gonna go into the into the ufc world i'm gonna do it he goes cool do you have 250 million dollars and i said no he goes what's your next idea and that was literally my first conversation with damon john i'm like uh, my next idea is true Ravi becomes like this sports, like, uh, you know, rivalry. We play off the rivalry between, te- he goes, I absolutely love it. So I'm like, I'm like, wow. I'm like, okay, cool. We're onto something. I'm like, I'm like, look, I, I believe that I have the ability to build a billion dollar business and he, and he's smiling. And I'm like, I'm like, look, I know you're laughing because you probably hear that a lot. And maybe I'm naive and I don't know. He goes, no, I'm laughing because you should hold on to that feeling. Because what happens is, Everyone has their dream, and then they get hit with no after no, and rejection after rejection. They get punched in the face, and they lose that feeling. They're like, man, this is a lot harder than I thought to build a billion-dollar business. It's a lot harder to get ten thousand dollars, right? Like, let alone a billion dollars. And you're getting nos and nos and nos, but it's that feeling that's going to allow you to to um, to persist and 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 be relentless and get up. Uh, so did I lose that feeling? Yes. I mean, you become a bit more skeptical as you go through experiences and you go through business. But it's um but passion's always important to me. It's the reason why I walked away from true rivalry. My happiness mattered most and and you know, I w I wasn't happy anymore. And I walked away. It's that feeling that allowed me um to know that I could build something else. And so did I lose it? To an extent, I, I don't go into everything being like, "Oh, this is a billion-dollar business. So I'm going to build a billion-dollar business anymore." I go into things a lot more skeptical. I know how hard things are uh, that I didn't know before. I was really like this. I was really naive, right? I was coming. I have no business experience. I'm a poli sci graduate uh, who took a couple of marketing classes, who read a marketing book, uh, starting a clothing line that I have no idea anything about clothing or printing. And Damon John's quizzing me on on what, what ink am I gonna use and water-based ink and you should use this amount and make sure your t-shirts are this. And I had no clue what he was saying. I was just like, t-shirt and printing. I, I mean, that's that was the extent of my knowledge at the time. Um, so that is naive. That's going into starting a business that you know absolutely nothing in. And I would never do that now uh, because I understand you can't do that. Um, so that was the lesson I learned and it was a very important lesson, but still to this day to entrepreneurs, I tell them like when they're like, yeah, I'm excited. I'm like, okay, cool. Just if you and, and he told me that if you could figure out a way to bottle that that enjoyment, that excitement, you'd make even more money off that. Right. Cause that's what every entrepreneur, like, imagine waking up in the morning, you're feeling down, you're not in the mood to grind. You you sniff it and you're like, oh man, billion dollar business passion back. And and you could do that. That's that's a billion-dollar business.
1: And I believe with Damon, it was your third meeting where he was running late, asked you to go to dinner. You said he had to fly back to Montreal. So he gave you his personal phone number. My question with that though, is how do you nurture that relationship? Because I feel like a lot of people don't know how to do that properly because you don't want to text him too much. You don't want to not text them at all. So what was your approach to kind of nurturing that relationship with him now that you've got access to his personal number? I'm, I, I, I took it as, as a big
0: responsibility, right? He trusted me with something. Uh, he gave it to me. And I didn't want to lose that relationship. So if it's a question I could answer on my own and I don't need validation for, which most of the questions people ask people are to get validation, I won't message him. If it's a holiday, his birthday, or something like that, I will send a quick thing. Um, and and yeah, if it's like, hey, come on the podcast or something like that, I'll send it. Uh, but I'm very, very respectful of of his of his space. I also make sure that every text message I send him finishes with "thank you," um, and and he keeps like I could show you responses from him where he's like, "Stop thanking me. You did this all on your own." And I said, "No, till the day I die. As long as we have this relationship, I will thank you after every conversation because I would not be here, um, not physically on this planet, but I would not be an entrepreneur. I would not be where I am in my business today if it wasn't for him. Um, you know, his advice went to a clothing business, but stayed with me over time." It was some guy who believed in me that was a, a huge driving force in the industry. Um, it was someone I, whose advice, every single piece of advice he gave me was gold. Um, and if I wasn't gonna succeed, it would be because I was not listening to him. Um, he gave me the blueprint. He gave me everything I needed. Uh, so I owe him a lot and I'm very respectful. So like every, I end every conversation with that. I send him a gift every single year on the holidays. Um, and and yeah, and I just, just I, I give credit to him when it's due and, and I don't need anything from him. So we have that relationship. I'll message him. But if I need something, I'll go through the right channels. I'll go through his assistant. I'll go through things the right way. When things aren't moving that way, then I'll consider reaching out to him. But I think people get that and they abuse it. Uh, but the biggest thing was in the beginning, cool, do I know the answer to this and I just want him to say what I want to say? Or like if I, if he answers "Yes, what would this change? If he answers, "No, what would this change? Just a thought before sending out that message uh, gave me the clarity of like, okay, just hold off. There's, there's no need to message him for the sake of messaging him.
1: You said every piece of advice he gave you was gold. Is there one that stands out above the rest
0: the The entrepreneurial feeling one was, yeah. was the best one um, that, that was that was the best because like again, wet never had a rejection before. Right, like like not like I'm not talking about with women or things like that plenty of rejection there, but um, I'm saying, but I did okay too. I need to clarify that, um, but yeah, so it was in the business world, never had a rejection, right, like again, coming friends and family, love the idea, love the shirt, great shirt, beautiful shirt, awesome shirt, great, um, and then you pick up your first phone and they're like, no, not not interested, not interested, and I'm like, what do you mean you're not interested? like everyone should be interested. In there should be in every single store possible, um, yeah. So it, that that's the most important lesson, and just just treat everyone with with kindness. I mean, he's he's just a really kind person. Like if like he's he's really there's very little, if anything, I could say bad about Damon John.
1: People listening to this are probably like, wow, I wish. I could have someone like Damon John mentor me when I start my business. But even looking back at True Rivalry, like you made it a habit of getting people to wear the clothes or mentors that were, for lack of a better word, like punching above your weight class. Like I know Mark Wahlberg wore the shirts, uh, Jay Baruchel, of course, a lot of hockey players. How are you doing it back then? How are you getting in front of all of these people? I ask. I've,
0: I've, never, I've never been the person who's like, I feel shame. Right? Like, I feel shame if I do something bad, but like, what's the worst that could happen? Right? The hot girl says, no. Cool. How am I different now than I was before? Maybe a little blow to my self-esteem, but I'm still not with her. Right? I'm not with her now. And I'm not with her when she says, no, nothing changed. The only possibility that could happen is she says, yes, that's the only change that could happen. The rest is internal. The rest is just my ego, a blow to my ego. When you realize that and you're like okay take the ego out of the equation the only way to move up is ask even to this day the podcast like i've done under 100 episodes i've had some of the biggest names in in the industry uh come on um by asking and not taking no for an answer and learn and understanding how to follow up and being respectful in my follow-up and being persistent when one person says no i know it's a no for now but maybe Maybe I just need to build up a more value. Maybe I need another guest on that. That's close to their range. So I've tried to figure who do they like that. If I got that person on the podcast, now my next message is, Hey, I had this person on like, who do these people value? Like Grant Cardone wanted Grant Cardone on. I know a lot of people don't like Grant Cardone, but I, I had questions. I wanted to ask him. So what did I do a long way around it? I had Jared Glanton, I had Elena on his wife on, I had all those people on and they all provide amazing value and they should all be on the podcast. There was no, hit. it wasn't like a full hidden agenda. They were useless and they, they could all provide, they all gave great, great advice on their own and they all have their own merit to stand on. But it was like, okay, cool. Like get into their, get into their world. Like if they're saying no, cool. Who do you know that, that they would say yes to that you, could, that you could do, it's always leveling up. It's the same way you wanna be in one store, cool. You're not gonna be in Barney's right off the bat. Where do Barney's buyers look for? Like, where do they find the latest trends? Okay, what are the hot one mom pop shops that 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 do it and and start getting your stuff in there, um and be in front of those people? Always give an opportunity. I it comes down to asking. The biggest advice that I ever give, and you probably know this because you've done great research, is anyone who asks me what the what the my biggest piece of advice is, ask for things. You have to ask for the sale. You have to ask for money. You have to ask for people to come on the podcast. You have you have to ask for um the girl or guy. Of your dreams to go out with you you have to ask them to marry you right like you have to do you have to ask them like let's have kids like there's so many everything in your life comes down from you asking and yet we're so scared to ask because we're so afraid what the outcome is going to be i've never that that's my biggest superpower is i don't i don't care what the outcome is you could say no to me a hundred times cool i will get you eventually
1: what does Kind of two prong question, What does that first initial message look like? What's your cold outreach look like? And then when you talk about like a respectful follow up, like what does that look like as well? So what's the first one, and then the second, third, fourth, fifth one look like?
0: So with the clothing company, the message was always the same. It was like, hey, uh, big fan of yours um, you know would love to send you something, um, you know, or you go through their agent or their manager, whatever it is, but would love to send you something. Usually they all like free free swag um, so so you give it to them. And then the note in there is like, look, if you love it, if you like it, wear it. If you love it, you know, post a picture and 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 tell a and tell like a teammate or or tell someone else about it. Uh, but I'd love a picture if, if possible. And if you hate it, I mean, just wash your car with it. And and either way, it's my gift to you. And that was really my message to every single person. With the podcast, it's the same. Hi, you know, my name is Jason. I'm a big fan of you. I'm a big fan of you. Jacob, I love what you do, would love to have you on the podcast, you know. We're top right podcast. We've had these guests on. Um, I think you'd make the next great addition. I think you'd provide tremendous value. Uh, Let me know how to make it happen, Jason. And I always assume that it's going to happen. So I'm like, let me know next steps to make this happen. Um, And if they don't respond, like, so if we're talking about Instagram, for example, if they don't respond and they don't read it, I just delete it and send it again, right? They, They didn't see it. So delete it and send it again. That's the harm. I've done that like probably for some people like three, four or five times until I finally get an answer. And then sometimes it's like they see it and then they don't respond. So you kind of write something else. You kind of provide it some value and be like, hey, look, I, you know, we just had this person on. Um, would really love, you know, I, I, loved, I loved what you said on your last post. It was amazing. Um, you know, This is the type of value my audience needs to hear. I uh, would love to have you on. If they don't respond, uh, I'm always like, look, I, I don't want to annoy you. That's the last thing I want to do. So if you're not interested at all and this isn't a fit, just let me know. And and you know, I'll, like I'll leave you alone. Nope, no problem. I just I'm just really really confident in the value you bring, and I really really love to share that with the world. Hard to say no to things like that, right? Like I'm not I'm not being rude. I'm not saying anything. And if they don't if they say sorry, I'm busy or speak to my assistant the same thing. So you start the process all over again. Sometimes if they say, speak to my assistant and they give me an email, I screenshot the conversation. And I'm like, Hey, Jacob told me to have you book him on the show. Right. And now it's like half the time they don't even read it. They don't look at the screenshot and they're like, cool. When's the date versus like my assistant will handle this. If you let the assistant handle it, they now are in charge of, do I want him on your show or not? Versus like, Hey, he said, book it. Right, so here's a screenshot of him telling me to email you to book it. Let's 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 get it done. Um, but yeah, it's just be respectful. Like I mean, be respectful. Don't be annoying. Um, uh,
1: that's sales one on one. Do you ever send with your podcast messages specifically? Do you ever send audio messages on Instagram so that they can't see what the messages until they click on and hear you talking?
0: No, uh, the, the the people I reach out to, um, I don't think they're gonna want to click on a message that they don't see right if it's if they're after the podcast and they were already on and, and we built that relationship i'll send them a thank you like voice memo or something like that um but either way like i mean i want them to be able to i'm not trying to trick someone to get on my podcast right it's like you want it on or you don't um i've had one person who sat there and said cool it's five thousand dollars and i sat there and said okay you're not the right fit right like look at the all these people not one of them charged me you like in my head i'm like you're a week class below. Sorry. Like, so not no sweat off my back. If you don't, if you don't want to be on it.
1: I've been there. I've had people ask like a $1,000 and stuff to come on the podcast. And I'm like, that's just not what I'm about. So I always, it's always a, a respectful decline at that point. But,
0: and, 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 and then, and then you build up your podcast so big that they can't say no. And, and then, and they and they wonder why they haven't been invited. Hey man, I'd love to Jacob. Like what's with this podcast. You've had all the best people on. How come you haven't had me on they're like yeah, I did. You wanted 5,000? No, no, man. I just want to be on it. That's the best revenge, right? The best revenge in anything is just build something so big, like focus on you. Do you ever send people analytics
1: if they ask, or did you announce the type of person you want on the show
0: um i'll I'll send analytics sometimes the assistant will ask for analytics, but at the end of the day, like when you have like it's gonna sound a little bit arrogant when you had the guests that I've had on the show, people are assuming, regardless. I gotta have three listeners. And people would assume I have like 4 million listeners based off like the people I've had on. Um, So I, I, some people have to lead with analytics. I lead with the, I lead with, with the big names first. Like, you know, you two is headlining the show. Do you want your house band to come on, you know, and and open up for them? Yeah, of course. I want to be on that stage. Right. Versus like, Hey, we're going to have like 15,000 people in the audience. Like, do you want to come on and play a couple of songs? Like there's, both are right ways. If you haven't had big names, but you have huge, massive downloads, lead with that. If you've had the big names, um,
1: you know, bright lights always sell more. No, I love that. Um, back to, you mentioned a little bit earlier with True Rivalry, sorry just jump back a little bit, is how eventually you ended up stopping the company. I know you were in like 250 stores across North, North America, so things were going really well. At what point did you kind of have that seed of, I don't know if doubt's the right word, but where you started to realize that maybe this isn't what you want to do?
0: Um back then i'd call it burnout now being a little older and wiser and and now and in, in just helping so many different businesses grow uh it was a lack of self-awareness i would say i was really young i i thought i was burnt out if i look back i probably quit like that's that's the truth i probably just quit um and not quit because it was too hard I, I saw where the industry was going and i saw the pushbacks coming from stores of of bargaining over price and things like that and nickel and diming you. Um, and I just saw where retail and clothing and how saturated it was and, and it was hard. Um, it was hard to keep coming up with new designs that were sports related without infringing on on trademarks. So I was looking at the license route and they wouldn't let you do anything cool with licensing, right? Everything had to be like approved. And, and so I started going after the the team's private labels. So I've done stuff for the Cavs and, and for the Leafs and for the Habs um and show them cool designs that now that was my way of bypassing it but i couldn't sell on the website like cool let's do charity t-shirts with some players that was my other way around it there's only so much that that i thought it it was going to grow and go to that mixed with i was running everything in the business like i had to have my hands on everything because i thought that's what you needed to do there's a great book if you're starting a business there's a great book called rocket fuel um uh, i think it's gina wickman uh, great book. Like I read it for the first time a few months ago and it changed my whole outlook. There's two types of people in business. a visionary person and an integrator. I'm a visionary person. I hate systems. I hate integration. I hate running the day-to-day side of things. Um, my calendar is not great. That's why I'm hiring an assistant right now to, to take care of. Like I'm, I'm a horrible integrator, but I'm a great visionary person. Um, and that's actually a role. There actually is a role to be a visionary person. I did not know that. I thought I had to do everything. I was not good at delegating. I couldn't let go of things. And that kind of got burnt out and I was just getting unhappy. And and I was unhappy, but at the same time, I was meeting with different uh, businesses that saw what I was doing with the brand. And they're like, man, I see you guys everywhere. Uh, can you help me? Can you consult my business? And I would talk to them for like hours. Suddenly I had all the time in the world. Like I'd go for coffee. It would be supposed to be a 30 minute it would last two hours all for free. Like I would just give them the blueprint for free. Um, then uh, I met the head of team, Gary Vee, um, a guy named Andy Kranak, who was like, hey, Gary's very big on Facebook ads. You should get started on Facebook ads. So I was playing around on Facebook ads um, in the later days of true rivalry, getting success online, uh, figuring out how to not depend on retail so much and move online. Um, e-commerce was starting to grow. I was one of like the first Shopify stores. Like Even Harley calls me an OG when it comes to Shopify stores. It was like 2011. Is when I opened up a Shopify store. Um, but really, just like playing around and try to drive more traffic to it um, and build the online side of things. And I spent a lot of money to figure out what not to do, um, made a lot more mistakes there, like just how I started my first business, uh, like, like the first time around with True Rivalry. Um, but loved the idea of marketing, loved the idea of where Facebook was going. I saw potential, I saw a lot of different things that I thought I could help people. And I loved the, the helping people. And I get the focus on my zone of genius, which is the marketing side. So again, lack of self-awareness. Could I have hired someone to take over the true rivalry side and drone it? Sure. Um, everyone's like, the biggest question I get asked right now is if I know what I knew now, can, do you, I wish I could go back in time and, and blow up true rivalry? No, I, I don't know what the, what the potential would have been. Um, I, I was doing well. It was growing year over year. We had growth. But I don't know, like if without that license, without infringement, like, I, I don't know if this would have been a 50 million dollar company or a, a hundred million dollar company. I think I would have been capped eventually. Um, and again, lack of self-awareness that realizing that I should just concentrate on the things I know best. Um, once you figure that out. Yeah. So I mean, that's when I left. So was it a hard decision? I the only people that knew was my wife and maybe close family members. And I actually wrote a blog post about it uh, called Why Am I Leaving True Rivalry? And I actually talked about it and I posted it on Friday because I was going away for the weekend and I didn't want to see anyone's reaction. I'm like, "This, how am I going to tell everyone? I'm just going to do it in this way. And um, and my biggest fear was like, people are going to think I stopped this because I quit or I failed. Oh, like it failed. He's closing up shop. It, it's it's over. He failed. Um. And I wrote that in the blog post. I'm like, there are gonna be people who are gonna say, I told you so, this was a failure. And you know, even though I had year over year growth, and there are people who are gonna be like, how do you walk away from something that's successful and or even growing even more? How do you walk away and just say, it's because you're not happy? Um, I've never been married to my business. People sit there and say, my business is my baby. Have babies. That's what I'll say. Have babies, because you'll never sell your baby for a for billion dollars sell my business for a billion dollars right now right so like uh, you know so i just think people i know that's a long answer but it was it was it was pure pure my happiness mattered more to me and i'm lucky enough that i had a really good wife and um and family members that supported my decision
1: and how long did it take you to make that decision? Because one, obviously, like for a lot of entrepreneurs, I feel like, especially in that case where they've sunk so much time into the business, starting over again seems daunting. So like, how long was that a debate before you actually made the, made the jump? A lot
0: too long, too long.
1: If, if you're unhappy, you got to ask yourself why.
0: You got to really, the lesson I learned is you got to figure out who you are and what makes you happy. Why are you unhappy? Do everything you can to fix it. If it's not fixed, you got you to change. Um, Gary vaynerchuk says one life right it's it it's true like we spend so much time in our work um that leads that that affects everything else we do in life um sunk time sunk money doesn't mean you stay with it right like like if you're losing at the casino, do you just sit there and keep throwing more money? like I never understood those people who keep going to the bank machine and chase it back you're cut your losses at some point like what if what if you what if it's a bottomless pit? what if you're gonna lose like just I'd rather lose three hundred dollars than three thousand dollars right so like either way it's a loss on the books but one's a bigger loss um and think people just stay with things because they're worried what other people think um they don't trust themselves and i didn't think i'd be starting from zero right like i i i believed i had a skill set uh even today if my agency went down to zero and I, i talk about this sometimes like just weirdly like what if all my clients left I don't start from zero. I have a foundation, right? I built two successful businesses. I've helped other people build like 70 figure businesses. Um, I, I don't start from zero. I start from the foundation that I'm at right now and I figure out what's, what's next. Uh, it's a lot harder to walk away from something when you have family and kids. I just had a wife at the time who was like, cool, we, we had no kids. Um, so the decision never gets easier. It only gets harder.
1: I mean, ultimately, you did end up making that decision. you start jport media twenty seventeen i believe first client taking from twenty five hundred a month to three hundred thousand dollars a month eventually then, so you started scaling the business and you mentioned how with true rivalry you were kind of doing everything yourself so with jport media, who was the first hire and why did you hire them
0: um, you know i was I was doing everything myself in the beginning for jport media too because it was what I was good at and what I liked um but that's not scalable. And I learned my lesson. I think in the beginning you kind of have to be everything in, in the business. You have to know how your business is running. Um, my first hire was, was another media buyer, someone who could take that that time away so that I could focus on, you know, being more out there and generating sales. Um, then you hire more media buyers and then you, you know, like now I'm telling you, I'm looking for an assistant because now it's how do I pull myself out of my own management of my day, uh, and, and, and free up my time to go do what I do best. Um, People are afraid to hire. I, I value my time over my money all day.
1: How do you scale yourself? Because obviously when it first starts Jayport Media, you're doing everything yourself. People are coming to work with Jayport Media to work with Jason. So as you start adding media buyers, how do you, one, scale that so they're operating the same way that you would, but also reassure clients that they're still going to get the same level of service?
0: You don't. You can't scale yourself, right? Uh, if you could, every business owner in the world who was really good at what they did w- would do it. I hire people who are better than me. That's how I fix it. Right. Um, I, I'm not, I tell clients who want me, I'm like, you do not want me. I'm probably the worst media buyer here. I think I'm very good. I'm probably the best you know, person in my business who works for me when it comes to overall marketing strategy and a visionary role. And again, I know my role. I'm a visionary person and I think I'm very, very good at it. Um, I'm probably the best when it comes to that, but from a, a pure media buying play like you hire people who are smarter than you and better than you and you tell them sure you want me but like really like you don't i built a dream team of, of people i pay more for people to work with me i pay like people like i've had accountants look at it and like you're paying this person too much I'm like i don't think so i'm like i am I'm, I'm in a results based business results matter so i need i need to be able to hire the best i don't care where they live i'm not like I, I, I don't want an 800% agency. I, I want to pick and choose the clients I want to, I want to work with. And I want the best media buyers, whether in the UK, whether in the US, whether in Canada, it makes absolutely no difference to me. I just want the best.
1: Mm-hmm. And I've heard you say that originally you were almost scared to scale the company because you didn't have the proper systems in place. How did you end up overcoming that fear?
0: Uh, I didn't scale it. <laughs> that, that was, that, that was, that was me overcoming it, right? Like, um, I always wanted an 800-person agency. That was the number to me. If I could get 800, I made it. The same way I thought buying a house. Like if I could buy a house, I made it. I bought a house. I, I don't feel any more, like, again, older generation. Buy a house, you made it. Um, the house is a money pit, right? Like, there's always problems that we're fixing in here. My wife's still doing redecorating and buying and buying new stuff as we speak. So I like it's not. It's a money pit. It's not an asset to me, um, but in terms of like scaling, yeah, I, I it's 800 person agency was the way I want. The thought of that makes me like gives me anxiety. I don't want 800 people under me. That's, that sounds like a really big headache. That takes me out of my visionary role. So I want a close knit amount of people. And and like I said, I, I still think we're developing systems and learning to get better with that. And that's why I'm making that higher than I'm making right now for an assistant who's going to be in charge of some project management roles and making sure that happens. Um but but yeah I I I can't do it. Right. So it's either I hate doing it, so I won't do it. And when I don't like doing something, I just procrastinate and things don't get done. So I hire someone. Same way I've hired a business coach. Right. Like I same way someone goes to the gym and they want a trainer. I, I need the accountability because if there's things that I don't like to do um but I know I need to do, I'll find every reason under the sun, why I shouldn't be doing it. Oh, no, I can't, I can't work out today. I got this, 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 and this.
1: Talk to me about the concept of making it. Cause you said originally it was the 800 people. Now it's switched, but I've also heard you talk about how through your career, it's always been wanting more, more, more. So at what point is defined making it? And it's always wanting more delaying happiness to get the next thing, but then just continuing that process forever.
0: Um, that's a great question. Does, does wanting more delay happiness? Um, look, making it uh I think I don't know what making it looks like. Like which is why I never do well with answers of like of like where do you see yourself in five years and 10 years or what's your why? My why's change. Right now, my why is like I want to be able to provide everything for my family. And I want um if there's a no for something, it will never be due to a financial reason. Doesn't mean my family gets everything. Doesn't mean if my son wants a yacht when he's 16 years old, he gets a yacht. But I want to be able to afford the yacht and say no to him, right? Like, no, we're not saying no because of budget, or we're not going on a family vacation. That's my why right now. Um, is that going to change? Yeah, your whys change. Uh, I don't do well with those questions, um, so I, I don't know what making it looks like. I think I think there's always room to grow, and I think that's why I don't have a metric, right? If I, I think if I gave myself a metric, like I said, if making a, if buying a house was making it. And you reach that goal and then you're like there and you're like, now what? Um, so I, it was a horrible goal to have because I reached it and I'm like, now what? Um, but wanting more, I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. I'm greedy, but I'm greedy like for the right reasons. I wanna be able to write million dollar checks to charities. I wanna be able to have time to donate to charities and sit on boards and do things like that. Time comes from having money and freedom to do so. Uh, money is not a bad thing money is not evil um, there are evil people with money and there are really good people with money um, yeah so I mean does does always wanting more delay happiness no because my happy I, I mean it's a great question because to some extent happiness is tied to money but it can't be the the only reason otherwise like I would never left the clothing company right I would try to keep making that successful so at some point happiness matters more than the money but i think you could have a balance of of being really happy and making and making money there are plenty of people who do what they love and make really good money with
1: not putting a like a specific number or whatever it is to consider making it a lot of people might think that means loving the process but from my understanding you don't love the saying love the process right
0: no the process sucks who loves the process i mean like gary talks about it love the journey i, I mean the end result sounds way better than the journey right like you only Here's the thing. You love the process when you look back, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you're, cli- when you're working out at the gym, are you sitting there saying, man, I love this, this beating that I'm taking right now my body. I love it. This is great. Uh, you know, there are some people who are crazy or like if you're hiking up a really high mountain and you're like dying and you have to take a break. Do you love it? Are you sitting there saying, man, this is the best feeling in the world. But when you're on top of that mountain, you feel great when you have your six pack and I don't know what that's like, but I'm, I'm working for, I'm working towards it. Uh, but when you have, you know, your goals reached, you feel great. And you look back and you're like, I got appreciation for that journey. That, that, that hike was hard, but man, was it good? Right? Like we look back in it. I think it's a very looking back saying, right? Like love the process, love the journey. And I get what he's saying. He's trying to get you to appreciate it because at the end you will, you will appreciate if you do it. Um, but I, I think it's like, who, like, I mean, who loves the process? Like, I, I mean, I tell you, love being the process of building a business. Take all the rejection, love it, love it, love it. Or I tell you, love the end result of being a billionaire. Which one are you going to love more? Who's going to sit there and say, man, the process of being a of building that billion dollar business is way better. All those no's, those sleepless nights, those worries, that stress, that anxiety was great. No, but when you're there, you look back and you're like appreciation for it.
1: So, what keeps you going then through that process?
0: Um, i i i i'm not I know what it's like to look back and and appreciate it um, but still to this day, I think that's I, I think that's my biggest struggle, and that's why I hire integrators because I don't like the process I don't like the buildings of things I don't like like doing the day-to-day tests. I like focusing on what I, I know best and, and get to the end result faster. I'll pay to get to that end result. Shows you how much I hate the process and the journey. I'll pay to get to the end result, right? Like take me to the end result. Um, I don't want, like, I know everyone has to put in time and I'm not saying, but there's ways to speed up the process. It just costs money. And to me, I'd rather that. I'd rather get to the end result a lot faster with a little bit less money and then start really scaling from there versus, you know, trying to figure it all myself and be like, look what I did. Look what I did. Um, well, so what keeps me going? Uh, I'm happy with what I'm doing. We're, we're growing a business. I think when we're making a difference. Um, you know, I, I, and I'm, I'm happy. So as long as if the second I'm not happy, we'll have a different conversation about it. Mm-hmm.
1: With trying to get to that end result, sometimes like even though you can speed that process up, it does take a considerable amount of time. How do you celebrate the small ones along the way if you do it all? I'm a horrible person to ask. I don't celebrate
0: any wins. Um, I, honestly, I I can only answer what I know. I, I don't give myself pats on the back enough. Um, I always, you know, I, I look back and I talk to other people, I talk to business coaches, and mindset's always something I'm trying to improve on. Imposter syndrome is a big theme in my podcast when I when I when I meet with people because I suffer from imposter syndrome. I wonder sometimes, am I good enough? And And they all sit there and say, well, look at the people you had on your show. Look at all this. It's like when your mother tells you, like, look at everything great that you've done in your life. And you're like, yeah, but you're my mom. You kind of have to say that, right? Like, I think every entrepreneur goes through it. I think that's why entrepreneurship is so hard. People don't really understand it. Um, I don't think it's being talked about enough. Um, You know, it's a lonely road. The ups, the highs are really high. The lows are very low. Um, but I definitely don't do a better, good job celebrating the wins because I'm always sitting there saying, okay, cool, what's next? Well, what's next? More, right? More, more. It's it's my blessing and my
1: curse. With more taking, sometimes to get more, like what we just talked about, can take some time. So people are in their process, or if you want to call it, just going through it, trying to get there slowly but surely. How long do you remain patient before it becomes illusional? <laughs> That's the question I asked Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, uh,
0: yeah. How long? I mean, I don't know. I'm not a patient person. I don't preach patience. Gary preaches patience, which is why I asked him that question. Um, cause I'm the opposite. I like, I like things now. I like, I like results now. I'm, I'm, I'm not a patient person. I understand the need to be patient. I understand things don't come and there's no such thing as an overnight success. Um, but I'm just as human as everyone else. Like I'm, I, I you know, talk about putting out content. Put out content. You do podcasts, you become consistent on it, right? And you're like, I know it's patience and consistency, patience and consistency, patience and commitment and consistency. Those three things will lead to success. But like I'll put out the podcast and I'll be like, How come I don't have four billion downloads? Right. Like, how come this person doesn't have this? I put out content. How come my following didn't go? I'm just as guilty as the things I advise my clients on because I'm human. Those are human emotions. The second I take a step back, but I'm I just become very good at understanding when I'm feeling that way to take a step back and be like, OK, normal emotion to feel. What would you advise your client in a time like this and know that we're just early in the game and it takes a lot longer um, and do things? I would say, I mean, I don't think you need to be overly patient. I think you need to start seems I think you need to have some sort of metric to success. If you don't if you you can't fix what you don't measure. And if you don't define what winning looks like, how do you, how do you know if you're winning the game? Like if we play tennis and we had no clue that like, if I hit the ball to you and you don't hit back to me, that's a point. Well, how do we play a game? How do we, how do we have a score? Like, how do we keep scoring this? Um, So you need to have some sort of like measure, like give yourself time. Um, And the whole, like, what if I quit a day before, you know, it was about to break no one says, just quit, find something else and do this on the side and, 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 and give it and give it. But like, at some point you got to figure out like, all right, do I really want to devote the rest of my life to this? And, 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 and if you're happy and you're passionate and you're able to do so go for it, go live your dream, go, go do whatever you want. Um, but I'm not a patient person. So I, I, I'm trying to answer your question and it's just sounding like I keep coming back to that. Like I'm not the authority in that space.
1: No, but I asked you because I figured you'd have a different opinion from most people when it comes to patients. So I, I try, whenever I know someone has a different perspective from what kind of like the norm is, I try to ask about that. And you mentioned how that was a question. Oh, you so asked. you're
0: antagonizing me. I like it.
1: I'm not antagonizing. I'm, me. I'm, I'm, joking. To, <laughs> I'm just messing with you. No, I know. Um, but you mentioned how that was a question you asked Gary, which is obviously why part of the reason as well, why I asked you that question. And because Gary was the reason that you started your podcast, Perfectly Mentored. What was the situation where you were in the room with Gary, where that conversation came up? Because people always ask how you started, and the conversation gets to Gary told you, but I haven't heard anybody ask how that whole meeting happened in the first place.
0: So I'm friends with people on Team Gary V. Um, I was at one of their their events there at Wiener Media. Um, I got to meet Gary. Um, the next day, I was like, uh, like a fanboy, I wanted a selfie. So I messaged my friend. I'm like, can I get a selfie? He's like, yeah, come to where the Hudson Yards today. Just come. I'll get you five minutes before you have to go back to Montreal. So I'm like, cool. I went because I was like, you didn't meet Gary unless you get the selfie. Um, so I went back and there were a couple of people there and and, I was, and we were talking and, and something happened where one person's like, so you didn't really think podcasting is the way that he goes, yeah, everyone should be starting a podcast. So I'm like, I'm like, I'll start one. And he's like, he's like, awesome. I'm like, will you come on? And everyone looked like like how could he ask? And it goes back to what I said earlier. I have no shame. Like, like if he never sees me again, like cool. Like all right, I didn't lose anything. Um, but I asked. He said I'm very very busy. He was very polite. He didn't. He wasn't like rude. I'm very busy. I don't know if it's gonna happen. I'm like I'm like cool. Uh, it will be around your time anyways. We'll, we'll fit it in whenever you're free. It's like it won't happen this year. And It was like November at the time or something like that. I'm like. Not not a worry, doesn't have to happen in November. Happen whenever you want. Like you you let me know. It's like, okay, like uh, uh it's like, you're not gonna stop, are you? And I looked him straight in the face and I said, if you were giving me advice in our meeting and I asked you, should I stop now? What would you tell me? And he he smiled and he's like, All right, do 20 episodes and I'll come on. Knowing like something I didn't know, most episodes fail after the eighth episode. So I, he kind of challenged me uh, and, if, and he kind of like, I mean, I was talking to someone about the biggest takeaways from, from, from that meeting and people are like, oh, biggest takeaway is ask. And someone said, no, the biggest takeaway I see from that is, is be Gary. Be so, um, be so, you know, protective over your time and don't just set someone up for, for a quick win. Leave the crumbs for them to actually build something and then reward them in the long run. Um, but be protective of your time because if he had to be everyone's first and only podcast, um, he, would, he would never have time. And most people would stop after they had Gary on, right? They wouldn't leverage it, they wouldn't do it. Um, and that, I heard someone talk to me about that and I was like, wow. And that changed my entire perspective over that meeting because it was
1: always like the advice is ask. That's not the advice, the advice is be Gary. I love that. And so talking about then the first 23 episodes, cause Gary said 20, I think it ended up being episode 24. I've heard you say that those first 23 was a grind. How, can you kind of talk to me about those? Yeah, I hated it. I was like, this isn't fun. Like, first of all, like, um,
0: you know, I was, I had to, I had to really find people to be on it. Right. Like I was really like pushing and I'm lucky enough. I know some people in the beginning that were nice and, and, and did it for me. And, and then I started reaching up to a little bit higher, but like, I was, I thought I'd have to like interview my sister and my father and like, we're going to get to like episode like seven by the time we interview everyone in my family. And like, uh, my nephews will come on, they'll do an episode on like gaming. I, I was just trying to th- think of ways to uh, how am I going to do this? And if you look at the dates, the dates are so scattered because I was like, I don't even want to do this. Like, like I I don't like it was, I only want Gary. And it was disrespectful to my beginning people who who helped build the podcast um, in a way because I was like, I don't like you're on because yeah, I think you have something valuable to say, but you're my stepping stone to Gary. Um, uh, and they ended up being really good guests. I ended up being a horrible host. Um, you know, I just didn't know how to listen. I would ask questions. it would just be reading off a script. It wouldn't be a dialogue. Um, yeah, and I was like, man, there's so much more I'd rather do with my hour here. And now it's like, I love it. I, I've learned to listen. I've learned to read. Like you're a very, very good podcast. Host, so I was going to tell you this off off the air, but you know how to seamlessly move people through it and listen, and then take the answers. And you know what your next point is. So you're setting people up. Like there are things that after I've done all these episodes and spoke to so many people, I recognize. I was going to tell you this off, but like let it be on the record that people know this. You could cut it out if you want. But I mean, appreciate that. Um, you're very good, and you you develop a cadence, and I I love it. And and I learned to love it. I learned to appreciate that everyone has a story. Everyone has something that they could offer. So the beginning guests weren't stepping stones. They were very smart people who had who have their gift to share. And I wish I would have been a better host and allowed them to share it in in, in the way that I know now.
1: With everyone having a story, and you were saying how in the beginning you it to be like your mom, your sister, your dad, everyone. Have you gone back and interviewed your family yet? That's something I'm debating doing because the podcast creates a different environment for that conversation. So I feel like if I sat down with my grandfather, I would have a completely different conversation than we've ever had before. Is that something you've done?
0: No. um, I mean, I like it doesn't fit the theme of my podcast. Right. I mean, I guess a cool one would be like perfectly mentored by like my parents and like having my parents on there. Um, it's it's a really good idea. Never really thought of it before that. Um I, I'm I'm too worried what they would say. I, I may have to edit that whole entire podcast out. <laughs> I may have to we have to just like dub their voice over and, and 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 splice things together. I'm afraid what they'd say, but yeah.
1: Honestly. I think I'm going to do it and just not post it. I think I just want it to have at this point just because But anyways, that was just, you brought that up and I was curious about that. But so now you've done, is the 99th episode out yet or is it still 98 podcast?
0: So 99th came out uh, yesterday um, and we have all the way up to 116 now uh, backlogged. Wow. The 100th episode uh, is the only one that is entitled right now. There's no guest. No guest. So, I mean, by the time this gets out there, people hear episode 100 episode 100 it's going to be a look back it's going to be me Mm -hmm. talking about everything i learned from from perfectly mentored
1: i did that for my technically 101st but no it's such a fun experience to do um but perfectly mentored originally was supposed to be a book right
0: um yeah i wanted to follow three key area people so i want to follow gary vaynerchuk for a day uh shadow for a day or it was like a week and then his response in email was a week i don't even have two hours Uh, i'm like okay. Grant Cardone for sales, um, and uh, and Damon John, and then Phil Town uh, for finance. So like the four areas in life and, and whatever, uh, in business and life that could transcend both. And and yeah, and no one wanted to give me a week. And I was like, all right, no one's gonna let me shadow them for a week. And I was like, no one's gonna let me shadow them for an hour. So I was like, cool. Gary said, start a podcast. I'm like, all right, it's a good name let me let me people may have an hour for me to to do it virtually on a zoom call let's try there
1: yeah and have you found like I always tell people this with podcasting that like if you just reached out without a podcast that people wouldn't have given you that time have you found the podcast kind of gives you that that foot in the door that makes it more likely for them to say yes
0: well yeah ask ask Gary Vaynerchuk for a half an hour to pick his brains see what he says ask him for an
1: hour to interview him and that changes And with my last question about interviewing Gary, how do you prep for that? Because you said like those first 23 was just getting to Gary. Like what's prep look like?
0: I realize I'm meant for the big the big show. Like I do way better with big name guests. Um, Big name, not in an offensive way to, I think everyone has a big name, but like the bigger stars or the bigger audience people than than the ones who come on that don't have the big audience. Um, I think I rise to their level you know you, you get good at playing sports but playing with people who are better than you um it's i i think i can hold my own very well i think i'm i'm way more prepared and focused going into those ones than than the other ones cuz i have to be Right, like these are like the elite they've been interviewed by everyone uh how do i make it different than anything else everyone's heard of what so the research process is completely different right cuz i could bring on someone like Tim Story, who's incredible, well-known, super, super smart guy, um, has so much value, but he's not as well known. So you could listen to him on a podcast and chances are it's the first time you're hearing him, right? Maybe not, but chances are it is. I bring on someone like Damon John, chances are you've heard him before. Chances are you've heard everything. Gary Vaynerchuk, if you're in the marketing space, you've heard everything you have to say 10 billion times because he only says the same thing over and over, which is one of the key things in putting out content. Right, He has the same sound clips and the same, he stays in his lane. So how do I make that different? Um, like I said, the rest of them, I, I started getting better with Gary. Uh, it's funny, I, I had a videographer that day and we did Brandon Steiner first. I went to Steiner Sports and filmed it. I was like, okay, cool. Got a groove with, with, with Brandon in the car. And then I went to VaynerMedia and this guy, Nick Dio, who was on the podcast, um, uh, he, he works at Vayner. And he saw me in the kitchen waiting for Gary, and he's like, "Hey man, you excited?" I'm like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Look, what advice do you have? Like, what, what, what? How can I make this podcast different from anything he's done?" He's like, "Dude, if you don't have it within the first thirty thirty seconds to a minute, um, Gary will check out, and this will be the worst experience, and he'll cut the podcast short." And then he's like, "Good luck," and walked out. I'm like. Yeah, I was. Uh, so now I started getting even more nervous. I start pacing. Like there's, I have the footage of it. I have the pictures of it. Like, the videographer took things. My friend Sandy, who was the videographer, he took it all. And then he, he said it perfectly. He's like, dude, it's like you blacked out. Like you were nervous walking in. You sat down, and you started, and I don't remember it. I don't remember. I had to. I had. To, I asked him. I'm like, can you please send me the rough footage tonight? I I, I want to just listen back. And I knew I had something good. I, I, I legit like blacked out. I was so focused. I was so in a zone. it was a very weird experience. Very few podcasts have done that for me, but I mean, I don't know I, that I prepped with it by just wanting to be different, challenge him on things that I knew he were hot issues for him. Um, like you said, like you, you, you know, you try to, you try to, poke a little bit and see and see what and and have that person wake up i knew certain things were bothering him i asked for it i challenged every single one of his statements like the patience thing i'm like cool give us an answer on that because you know you just keep saying be patient at what point do you stop being patient things like that uh and now he has the toyota i'd rather cry my uh toyota than you know than laugh or whatever the quote is that he's posting all the time. that's on that podcast because i pushed right like and and um I don't know. I was, I was very weird. That's my, my, one of my favorite podcasts I've did, I've done, but I don't know how to replicate that. Like it was like, I,
1: different person. Weird, weird to say. Yeah, no, that's interesting though. And so like how, with not being able to replicate it, what does your process look like now then? Cause like, is it this, is it, do you try to have a similar thing where you just black out in the podcast or is there like a certain flow to your prep now?
0: Um. I think I developed my cadence. I think I'm very good at at zoning in now. I think that was I think maybe that was my first experience with it, so it was like surreal and now I think I'm able to when turn on the light, turn on the camera. I'm in my element. I'm a my wife says I'm an extrovert, but I'm 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 a shy introvert person. Like I like I I think I'm an extra uh, uh introverted extrovert or an extroverted introvert, however you want to look at it. Uh it takes me a while to assess the situation. I don't just go in but the camera on it's like, I gotta be something. It's like, it's like acting. I always wanted to be an actor. I've always wanted, I always wanted that. Cool. I get to be someone. Um, I get to be the best version of me. I get to, I get the. whatever I'm going through. I got to shrug it off. You're having a bad day. You're not feeling well. You got to bring the energy. You got to come up. Um, Howard Stern's one of the best interviewers of all time. I, I look at what he does and how he makes people feel comfortable. The best, the best, and and you'll know this as a podcast. So it's one of the best compliments you get is like, "That's a really good question." Oh, I've never been asked that before. Oh, wow, that's great. That's when I know I'm 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 okay. I'm building. I'm building. I'm building. Um, so my prep is just like yeah, like you said, do research. I gotta hire who you do. Who you have to do research because you're like, I, I a step like a board like a fraction before creepy. Yeah, <laughs> and, that's true. I try to be like like re- like a line before creepy. Like, did he like literally stalk me? Um, but like a past, like I now know everything I need to ask this person. Uh, I, I mean that in a, in a joking, but, a, a an affectionate way. Um, but yeah, I, I try to do research. I try to see what issues are important to them at the end of the day. This is their promotion. What do they want to get out there? Um, and never interrupt them. I know that's a debatable thing, but I never interrupt.
1: I tr- I do my absolute best not to interrupt either. And I feel like sometimes I even wait that extra second to ask a question because sometimes when they think you're not going to ask a question, they keep going and then they start getting into places they've never gone before because they're used to getting cut off there. Um, but you mentioned with being on camera, you like being on camera. You kind of like come alive on camera a little bit because you always want to be an actor. Talk about growing your personal brand and how that has differed for you from growing a business.
0: So i now like being on camera i didn't like it before i never liked the sound of my own voice i just i i now know how to tune it out right i now know how to not get worried that the camera's on me or there's a mic on me or like if i'm doing like a vlog for example and someone's following me around with the camera for the first two minutes i'll be i'll be nervous and then i'll just get into my zone and just be and just be comfortable um growing a personal brand uh is something i'm still trying to do still trying to put out content it still takes me a while like anyone else i'm um I'm a human, turning that camera on and filming a selfie video and, and talking. like I'm always like, I always worry, what do I look like? I, worry, I have the same insecurities as everyone else with the camera on. I just think I'm now better at not caring as much. And, and you always look at your own securities more than anyone else does. Like most people don't realize the things that are bothering you. Um, like I have my own insecurities where like even now after being married to my wife for over five years, I point out something to her and she's like, I never noticed that, but now I can't stop looking at it. Right. Like just certain certain things like that. Um, but yeah, it's it's just comfort zone. And the difference between building that and a and a and a business brand is as so i I think you have an easier chance time to build a personal brand. Um than a business brand because there's a face behind it. It's it's easier but harder because someone has to be the face and someone has to be the one on there, and and grow it. But it's something I think is super 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 important.
1: Why is it so important?
0: Um, best known always beats the best, right? Like um, you know, people have to know you exist in order to want to do business with you. Uh, we we live in a world where there's so much noise. How do you break through? Um even today like but people get caught up in the wrong metrics and again i'm human i do it too how many likes is this getting but then you know how many people i get calls with are like hey uh can we can we discuss working together i'd love to work with you and we jump on a call and, and it's like people i've known or whatever and they're like like yeah you know i watch every single one of your videos i love everything and they've never liked the video they've like i wouldn't see that they've never commented that's most people. I, I don't like, I try to be respectful now and like things because I know how much that means to people, but I walk, I consume so much content without liking or commenting. I just, I I don't. Um, and I've done business with people I've seen on social media that I didn't like their stuff or comment. But the first thing I did was email them and, and say, let's, let's find a way to do business. Um. Yeah. I, I, I think you, you need to be out there. It, I think if, There's plenty of ways to grow a business and, 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 and make money without doing that. Uh, But at the end of the day, you're probably leaving a lot of money on the table by not having it. Um, I think owning your own platform and not just like, what I mean by that is not just like have a podcast and that's it. Um, Owning your own platform, owning your own virtual stage is leverage for anything you want to do. If I, if I build a personal brand and I walk away from the agency and I start, and I start a t-shirt company. I have a following that I could immediately start selling to. I have an audience. I'm taking that audience with me wherever I go. I have authority, which is super important in anyone doing business with you, especially in my line of work. Authority is huge. Um, uh, build, building that is, is the key towards market domination.
1: With, I'm curious too, with you saying how you're leaving money on the table, how many of your coaching clients for market domination method have come through your personal brand? So market domination method
0: is hasn't really even started yet, but I've done like it's starting soon. Um, It's a it's a group uh, program on exactly what we just discussed uh, on how to dominate your market. Um, Probably something I'm the most proud of. I want to help at least 50 entrepreneurs in 2021 grow their businesses. This is like my passion product. Yes, there's a cost, but it's a fraction of what it would cost or, or should cost and will cost the next time around. Uh, but it's direct access to me, and it's like a year long. Um, I'm probably losing money on on this in terms of time uh but like it's I'm so committed to it um, but through the personal brand look it's it's hard to tell uh, i it, it, certain things aren't measurable, right? If someone hires the agency and comes through the agency, right, how do they hear about me? Do they hear about me on my podcast? Do they hear about me on your podcast? Do they hear about me on social media? Do they hear the end of the day? I don't care. Right. But if I keep putting myself in your, on your podcast, my podcast, your Instagram, my Instagram, um, email, and they get hit every single day, I'm just putting myself more opportunities to win business. That's all I care about. So it's hard to say there could be more cause it could be causation versus correlation that that that's always the biggest question. And some things just aren't trackable and some things I really don't care to track are more have sales gone up are more people hearing about me since I've done the things I'm doing. Yes. Good. Keep doing it. If I do the things I'm doing and business lost and like no one's call, the phones aren't ringing, no one's, no one's calling me. Clients are leaving me. It's not working. Stop what I'm doing. That's how I look at things.
1: I want to talk a little bit more how you said the pricing for this first round is going to be lower than it should be and will go up. I've heard on previous interviews, you say when it comes to coaching, like especially in the beginning, you didn't know exactly what to charge. And I think that's an important thing for people to hear because a lot of people as first-time entrepreneurs, they let that be a huge hurdle for them. They don't know what to charge, especially if it's service-based. So how do you go about figuring that out? As someone who's had multiple successful businesses now, even you have had trouble figuring out exactly what to price. So how do you approach that problem? So I didn't, I, I'm not having trouble
0: pricing this. I'm just saying, I'm saying this first time around, um, I wanna build it with the beta group. So I want the beta group to be responsible for building it. That's unfair of them to come into something and and whatchamacallit and have to pay the price, right? Of it all being spoon fed to them. The, 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 the exchange is really, they're paying for it, but the value that I'm going to give them and the direct access they're going to have to me is going to be more than any other group that's going to go through this because they're going to be, you know, they're the, the godfathers, right? They're, they're, the, they're the first class, they're the OGs, they're the people that are coming in and helping me build this because I'm not a big believer in building a program and having people come to it because so oftentimes we try to sell people um, what they want and not what they need. Um, so I want to see what they actually need. Versus what they want, like they'll come in and sit there and say, "I want a podcast." They may not need a podcast, um, but yeah. So it's I, I, I don't think I'm having trouble pricing it. I think, I think I'm just being respectful to where they're at, and I, I, I know the value of it, and it should be a, it should be a lot more. Are entrepreneurs made or are they born? <laughs> uh, I, I ask that question a lot. Obviously, you know that. Um, I think they are 100% born. I don't think you can make an entrepreneur. Uh w- with the caveat of I think people could become entrepreneurs. I think people could, I think there's, you know, I had someone on the podcast who pointed out um something very interesting that you could be an employee with an entrepreneur mentality, right? And 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 do that. Uh you could, you know, but I think there's something the entrepreneurial tendencies, um, very few people. I know could weather that storm. And I've seen people, I know people, friends of mine who thought they were entrepreneurs and they want to go start their own business. And they're like, man, this sucks. Um, and they stopped. Um, you know, I, I just think the characteristics of an entrepreneur are you're, you're born with them. You have them um, doesn't mean you need to go start your own business. Right. You could have a great job that allows you the entrepreneurial freedom to do what you want to do. Um, but you could be, you could be, taught to be a big uh, to be a business person You could be you could be taught finance like i had to learn those things those are skills that you know weren't so like didn't come naturally i had to learn sales i had to learn financing and what gross margin means and profit and and how to run a business like those are things you learn investing i had to learn Um, but my desire to learn all those things are part of my entrepreneurial tendencies
1: what makes you uncomfortable right now, because I feel like oftentimes in that pursuit of more, you usually have to step out of your comfort zone
0: um, you know uh, I don't know i not, nothing really makes me uncomfortable um, i think I think the only thing that's uncomfortable is when when I start thinking like, okay, so what do I want like what's what's the plan for 2021 what's the what's the plan for five years from now where are we gonna be what are we building here like that makes me uncomfortable because I don't do well with those type of things so it's more like an anxious like uncomfortable feeling um i get uncomfortable when I think about um you know just different ways to to grow the to grow the business i get uncomfortable there's there's a lot that i guess make me uncomfortable and I don't really realize it as uncomfortable it's just anxiety like Building systems for the business makes me very uncomfortable, but it's like, it's because I don't like it, and, but I'm not going to do it, right? I'll hire someone to do it. Um, as you start really figuring out your role in your business and what you're good at and really focusing on that, you become less and less uncomfortable. Uh, and if you're uncomfortable with something, um, you have to ask yourself, is it because you're, it's a growing pain or are you going against what your goal is? So there are times where I'm doing something and I'm uncomfortable and it's actually out of alignment. It's a lack of congruency. I could be saying I want to help 50 entrepreneurs, but what I'm doing is actually hurting 50 entrepreneurs. That's going to lead to me being uncomfortable, for example, um, because there's no congruency. It's why like I never preach hustle 24 seven and grind. And whenever I had a hired a copywriter who wrote copy for me and there was like grind and hustle, time to hustle. I've always edited out because I'm not a grind and hustle type person. I believe in hard work. I think it's important, but I'm not a hustle. I believe in family time. I believe in, in personal time. I think that's way more important and I think you can work smarter versus harder. Um, I like my downtime more than anyone else and I, and I value it. Um, but I think, I think usually when you're uncomfortable, it's because something's out of, out of alignment. It could be your mental health, it could be your, your actual health, it could be everything. You got, you got to look at that first.
1: In that downtime, how often do you reflect on the whole journey, from all the way back to starting true rivalry back in like 2008 to where you are now?
0: Never. This podcast was, this podcast has been the only podcast I've done where I've reflected on it. Usually, like we, like that, that beginning journey is I, I don't really like talking about it so much. Um, it's in the past, so like we're, we're onto some, to something else. Uh, watching how to make it in America with my wife. She asked a lot of questions uh, like, cause I started before we met and she's like, well, was this really what it's like? I think you should talk about your journey more and what you've learned. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty private person. You know, I, I like to just, okay, this is what I'm doing now. Let's fo- Let's focus on now the past is in the past. Um, but yeah, I, I never really reflect on it. Um, I have a hard time turning off what's happening currently. Uh, let alone turning that off and now being like, all right, let's see what we've done so far. Uh, that's, that's not me.
1: I'm, my mind is always working. in order to time here, so I'm just gonna ask you to jump to the last question that I ask every guest on every podcast. I like to flip the script a little bit. So instead of me asking the question, it's you asking the question, but it's not to me. Pretend you have a crystal ball. You can ask this crystal ball any question, you'll get the 100% honest answer. What is one question you wanna know the answer to? The path I'm on right now.
0: Will my family be taken care of? I love that question. That's that's the, only, that's the only thing that matters. If the mm-hmm. answer is no. Then I got to change everything I'm doing. I could be making $10 million a year right now. I would stop everything I'm doing right now and change it instantaneously.
1: I like that answer. But I want to thank you so much for taking time to be on the podcast. I want to give you the floor. Where can the people find you? Plug anything and everything you got right now. Uh, market
0: domination method, if you want to work with me and 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 not hire an agency and you want to work with me and you want to build your brand, JPort Media will help you with paid media. Facebook ads is our bread and butter. We, we could help scale your business that way on all social media at Jason Portnoy. And like, uh, like Jacob said, I got my own podcast perfectly mentored.
1: Awesome. Well, I want to thank you once again for taking time to be on this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Really awesome job. Really enjoyed this one. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I want to thank everybody for listening. Whether you've listened the entire way through, I only listen to bits and pieces. I really appreciate you taking time to check this out. Everyone do me a big favor, go and follow Jason. Go and check out his podcast. I'll make sure everything's linked in the show notes down below so you can find it. If you'd like to follow me, you can find me everywhere on social media at the Jacob Kelly. Feel free to come and say hello. My DMs are always open. As always, today's podcast is powered by TrueFan. Thank you once again for listening, everybody. We'll talk soon.